0: It is uh, great to be here with you again this weekend, Um, so super excited to see all your faces. I practice this on Saturdays, and it's empty seats, which is just sad, (laughs) so it is great when I get to get up here and see everybody, and what a blessing um, you guys all are. Um, So I'll start out with a quick story. There was uh, one Christmas, there was an excited little boy, and he... uh, he had a list of gifts that he wanted from Santa Claus and he, uh, you know, he wanted this list bad. So he writes his letter to Santa and uh, he gets done, he folds it up, he puts it in the envelope and he thinks, you know what, this list is too important. I need to send this list to Jesus also just to make sure that I, I get these gifts. So he writes, uh, starts his letter to Jesus and he starts out, dear Jesus, I have been really good for the last six months. And then he, he stops and he thinks, well, wait a minute. Jesus is going to know that that's not true. So he, he crosses out six and he says, dear Jesus, I've been really good for the last three months. And he says, no, no, this isn't going to work either. So he crosses out the weeks, or crosses out months and puts in weeks. Jesus, I've been really, really good for the last three weeks. And finally just... Distraught because he knows that's not true either. He starts to pace around the room and thinking about, you know, what can he write? How can he convince Jesus to, to give him the gifts that he wants? And he, he comes, you know, to the, to the nativity set and he's fiddling around with the guys on the nativity set and all of a sudden he, he picks up Mary and looks at Mary and he has a new idea. So he runs and gets a new sheet of paper and he writes, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... <laughs> That that little boy knew the same is true about him as most of us, that we probably can't say that we have been good for the last six months or even, you know, the last three weeks. That boy understood the Christmas story in a better way than we might. Would you open your scriptures uh, with me, your Bible with me? We're going to read Luke 2, 8 through 12, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Would you uh, pray with me and pray for this message today? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. Um, We are so blessed here in this country that we can meet each Sunday morning, that we can fellowship with one another, that we can encourage one another and strengthen one another um, as your body, Father. Lord, we pray you would pour your spirit out on this, this place. We pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, Father, that, uh, that we would be ready to receive whatever message you have for us. We pray you'd give us a soft heart, that we would really um, take heed of whatever it is you're speaking to us. Maybe not the words that come out of my mouth, Father, but the words that come from your spirit to ours. We pray that we would walk away knowing We pray that we would walk away from here with a better understanding of you, a better sense of you, a better um, just excitement about you, Lord. The good news that this angel spoke was just that it was good news. And maybe we've forgotten that, but we pray that this week that we would be reminded of the good news of your son. Holy Spirit, do a work here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So that boy, like I said, he understood that the problem was sin, right? The reason he had to write this letter, the reason he had to to really try to finagle his way was because of sin. But like we read in this passage, the good news that the angel came to share was that there was going to be another way. And to truly understand that good news of that angel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what that boy understood. We have to understand sin, and we have to understand our own sinfulness. Because if we don't understand our own sinfulness, the good news isn't really good news. It doesn't really matter. And I think that maybe maybe we forget that. Maybe we've never really understood that to begin with. I'll tell you the best Christmas that I ever had, and this is going to be dating myself, but the Christmas, best Christmas I ever had was 1992. And because sometime after Thanksgiving, fairly shortly after Thanksgiving, I kind of say December 1st, that's when I celebrate my rebirth day, um, I accepted Christ as my Savior And suddenly that Christmas took on a whole new meaning to me. You know, everybody always loves Christmas, right? I mean, you love it as a kid because you get gifts and just there's all the the good cartoons are on and, um, you know, you get to see family, just all that good stuff. You always love Christmas. But that Christmas, when I understood the meaning of it, suddenly I'm crying at Hallmark commercials, which, and not movies, there were just commercials back then, you know, the the sun is coming home, you know, and, and Folgers. I think it was a Folgers commercial. The sun is, is coming home and nobody knows, and he surprises them by making coffee. And I'm bawling because I had a whole new understanding of Christmas and the good news that it was. That is what the angel was talking about. We need to understand our own sinfulness. See, the story of Christmas means nothing if we don't understand all the way back to the book of Genesis. If we don't understand in Genesis 3 what happened in the garden, if we don't understand that at one point Adam and Eve were able to walk with God, and I always think of several years ago we did a, a, a skit up here, our youth did it, and it was the lighthouse skit, and I've never forgotten that skit where, actually, I think it was Kaylee or Hannah, one of them played Jesus, and I think Livy Barnes played uh, the girl. And Jesus raises this girl up, and he's, he's showing her all these marvelous things, and she just has this look and sense of awe. And I think about Adam and Eve and the sense of awe as they're looking around the garden. And every time they see something new or that they don't understand, they can look right to their left and see the creator and say, what is this? And he would explain it and just what an awesome experience that would have been. But Adam and Eve made a different choice. They had one rule. Kind of like those memes, you had one job. (laughs) They had one rule, don't eat of this tree and they chose to eat of it. And they ate because the serpent told them that their eyes would be opened. And their eyes were opened. And that sounds... Like, that'd be a good thing. Today, we all want to be part of the Illuminati, right? We all want to know the deep secrets of the universe. But there's consequences to having their eyes opened. Because I don't know what all their eyes were opened to. I know their eyes were opened. But I can tell you some of the things that they saw. Their eyes were open and they saw shame. Whereas they used to be running around naked... Um, or naked, as Trevor Graham would say. Um, Suddenly they felt shame, and they cover up with leaves. Their eyes were opened to shame. Suddenly, their eyes were opened up to fear. They had never known fear. They had lived in a perfect place. They had walked with their creator. Now, all of a sudden, who are they afraid of? The creator that loved them, that gave them life, that took care of them. Their eyes were opened to fear. Their eyes were opened to guilt. They knew what they had done was wrong. And they felt the guilt of that sin. So what do they do? They start pointing at one another. It was her fault. It was the serpent's fault. Their eyes were opened to guilt. And their eyes were open to death. God doesn't leave them in those fig leaves. God leaves them in skin from an animal. And it is said that God probably slayed that animal right in front of them as an example of the sacrifice that it was going to take now because of what they chose their eyes were opened to all these things. And for generation and generation and generation, that has been passed down to us. We all deal with the consequences of that first sin as we deal with our own sinful nature. And that is the problem of sin. That is our problem is sin. We uh, We also have this idea about sin, that sin means not doing wrong things, right? To not sin, I just don't do this list of things. But the word sin, because in order to understand our sin, I think we need to know what sin is. The word sin in Hebrew is chata. And I believe that's how you pronounce it. I'm not good at rolling letters and things like that. So, but the reason I remember that word is because it sounds like Klingon to me. So it's like, ha-ta. And it means to miss the mark. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. How many of us are hitting the mark? You see, when we think of sin as a list of things to not do, well, then it's easy to do a couple things. It's easy to say, okay, I'm just not going to do this list. It's also easy to say, well, yeah, I'm doing a couple things on this list, but I'm not doing this, the things on this list are as bad as this other person. When sin is a list of things not to do, it's easy for us to point at the people stuck in sexual sin it's easy for us to point at the adulterer. It's easy for us to point at the thief. It's easy for us to point at the murderer and say, see, I'm a pretty good person. I don't sin. But when we consider that missing the mark means more than just not doing those things, we can't excuse our little white lies. We can't excuse the gossip. We can't excuse any of the acceptable sins that occur in our church. Now, in no way should we just give other people a pass and say, well, that sin's bad. So we're just going to let it go now because we sin as well. We can't do that. We've got to say, my sin is as bad as their sin. I am missing the mark the same way they are missing the mark. And I'm my own, I will never be able to hit the mark. And that was the good news that that angel brought. The good news, and we see in, uh, I think it's Mark 1, maybe it's Matthew, let me see, I think I have it written down here. Um, it's Matthew 1, I think 20 and 21. Yeah, I don't think I wrote it down. It's Matthew 1, 20 and 21. The angel also goes to Joseph and Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. Well, he knows this isn't his kid, so he's going to leave her. We all know that story, right? But the angel comes to him and says, "Don't leave her. This is from God. This is God's child." And he says to him, he says the angel says to Joseph, "You will call him Jesus." Because he will save his people from his sins. And that's what the name Jesus means in the Latinized version. It's God saves. And I was thinking about, because the solution, we know that the solution then is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is who is going to save us from our sins. That baby is going to save us from our sins. But how? How does that baby save us from our sins? And as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about our sermon a couple weeks ago. If we want to live, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to live like Jesus. That baby saves us from our sins. Jesus saves us from our sins. When we look to him, he will tell us the way. He shows us the way that we can be saved from our sins. So if the solution is Jesus, what does that mean? In Mark 1.15, Jesus tells us what we need to do. He says, repent and believe. In Acts 2, Peter, in his great sermon after the day of Pentecost, as he's speaking to thousands and thousands of people, he expands on this idea. Peter says, well, let's go to it. Let's go to Acts 2. I'm going to read to you. This is the sermon from Peter because he gives better sermons than I do. So 2, 14 to 21. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophecy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophecy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will, fulfill, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witness of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How does Jesus save? Jesus is the substitution for our sins. How do we live into that salvation? We repent. We turn from the way we've been living, which is what repent means. It doesn't mean ask for forgiveness, it means to turn from. So if I've been walking this way, but the target is this way, the way that I'm supposed to live is this way. If you want to know the way you're supposed to live, look at Jesus. If you want to know the way you're supposed to live, look at Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. If you want to look at the way you're supposed to live, look at God's Word. Not the Facebook memes that tell you what God's Word says, because half the time they're wrong. Look at God's Word. Because we need to stop walking this way and we need to repent and turn towards God that we may hit the mark through the grace of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God the Father. If we want to be saved, we turn our lives towards God. And what happens when we do that? Because we know the problem with sin. We know the the. The solution is Jesus Christ, but now what? We've made that decision. We've turned towards Jesus Christ. The plan is the church. 3,000 people were added to their number to that day because suddenly they understood the value of Christmas. Suddenly they understood their sinfulness. They understood where they were going wrong, and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they formed that first church where they broke bread together and they followed the apostles' teachings. And most importantly, they were faithful to go out and God added to their numbers daily. Because this good news, the story that this, that this angel shared with the shepherds, was not ever intended to stay with the shepherds. It was not even ever intended to stay with Israel. This message was intended for the world. And we are the plan to get this message out. It is great at Christmas time to hear songs on every station praising God. Well, most stations <laughs> praising God, playing Christmas songs that sing of the glories of God and of Christmas and of Jesus' birth but it's not enough for people just to get happy hearing Christmas songs. We need to understand that it is so much deeper than that. We need them to understand that the world may know. Today, we get to celebrate like that early church did. We get to break bread together. We get to celebrate communion together. And uh, the, way I, the way I do communion when I'm sitting in a pew and somebody is, is sharing the communion time is I always pray. I pray to get myself right with God. And I pray Psalm 139, the end of Psalm 139, um, the last two verses. And I never remember if it's 23 and 24 or what it is. Um, it's the last two verses in Psalm 139. I'm going to say that prayer for all of us. And I'm going to give you a moment to, to silently, <clears throat> first of all, listen for God, because that, that verse goes like this. It's, test me, O Lord, and know my heart. Search me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. Ultimately, it's a prayer asking God to reveal to me the areas where I am missing the mark. And when he brings these things to mind, I ask For forgiveness. And as much as is possible, I want to be right with God when I take communion. So we're going to give everybody that opportunity to, to just pray on your own and listen to God. And then uh, after I've given you a little bit of time, then I'll begin the prayer for the communion. And hopefully everyone's got their communion uh, cups as you walked in. And <clears throat> yeah, if you want to start opening them now, I know they're tricky sometimes. <laughs> so, but then we'll begin uh, the communion service. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. What a blessing they are to me. What an honor it is to get to come here each Sunday and fellowship with them, to break bread with them, Father, and with many to get to do life with them, Lord. Father, I thank you um, for each one here, and I pray that as we go into this time of of confession, this time of of trying to get ourselves right with God, and as much as we are able to, Father, that you would speak to each one of us. Father, we pray, as David prayed, test us, O Lord, and know our hearts. Search us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in in us and lead us in the path everlasting.